All right, let's go to James chapter 1. And we're going to do something tonight we've not done before. We're going to begin in James and then move over to 1 Peter. Um, so finish up last week's sermon and then jump into this week's sermon. And so it'll be shotgun style uh, type evening as far as truth given out. But hey, take what you need and run with it. Amen. That's always a good uh, attitude. And we've been talking about the book of James. And before we read the passage here, uh, what we have said is that James chapter 1 is the like table of, con- con- uh, table of contents index that lays out what the rest of the book is going to talk about. So it sort of gives the opening paragraph for the thought in chapter 1. And then the rest of the book, you find that thought continued. There are five thoughts found in James 1 that are expounded upon Throughout the book, we've looked at the first four. Tonight, we'll look at the fifth one, and then we'll move over to First Peter. James 1, look with me at verse number 26. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, and we'll look at verses 26 and 27. We'll pray, and then we'll finish up uh, James and then get into First Peter. Verse 26 says, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue... But deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. We'll finish up this topic of a practical approach to Christianity. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at many different truths tonight, Uh, This one uh, we'll start with will probably be the most practical. Help us, Lord, to apply it to our hearts and our lives. And, Lord, uh, may we be better Christians because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, so far, uh, go ahead and throw the review up there for me, Brother Joe. So far tonight, uh, so far in this um, uh, Bible study, we've looked at these four topics found in James 1 and throughout the book. Our wholeness, the word perfect. Uh, anytime you find the word perfect in either the New Testament or the Old Testament, it translates to the idea to be made whole. To be made whole. And uh, it means to be mature. And you're maturing through that process, right? You think about a food item that takes time to mature, right? And uh, it, uh, it, is, it is a maturing item. It, it's better with age. And that's how it is as a Christian. The word perfect is found seven times throughout the book, we said. So we looked at our wholeness. We looked at our wisdom. We talked about the difference between uh, uh, the wisdom of the world and the wisdom that comes from God. We said that the wisdom of the world looks to get vengeance on others and puts uh, uh, self first. Uh, the wisdom from heaven uh, does not seek to get vengeance on others, but seeks to forgive and puts others first. We looked at last week, uh, we spent quite a bit of time looking at our wealth. The book of James has a lot to say about worshiping money. And then we finished last week by talking about our works. Uh, and we looked at impartial works, uh, not not serving other people because of what you can get out of it or what they can give to you, but serving everybody the same. We talked about intentional works. This is, this is not just saying, hey, I have faith. This is saying, I'm going to show you my faith with, by how I live. Okay? You can say, I have faith that Jesus can save the world. But if you're not willing to give someone a gospel track, then you don't actually believe that Jesus is 
going to save anybody. You've got to put feet to your faith, feet to your faith. And then we uh, finished up looking at intercessional works. And uh, we looked at chapter 5 where Peter, or rather um, James tells us that we need to be busy praying for each other and uh, lifting each other's needs and faults and failures up to the Lord and helping to carry those things to the Lord in prayer. Well, let's jump in and look at our number five, our words, our words. James one twenty six is a powerful verse. And let me again provide the context from where it's coming. James, half-brother of Jesus. James being the half-brother of Jesus. The back of your bulletin, by the way, is for First Peter. So you have to wait till I get over to First Peter in a minute. If you have last week's bulletin, you can take that one out and finish filling it in, okay? Our words. Now, um, James one twenty six and 27 are two of my favorite verses in the Bible. Look at them with me again. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Now, this is an interesting verse. Okay, the word religion, I've said this before, the word religion is found four times in the Bible. Two of them are right here in these two verses. And verse 26 gives us bad religion. Verse 27 gives us good religion. Hey, you can undo all of the good in your quote-unquote religion by running your mouth in a negative, destructive manner. If you cannot control your tongue, then you cannot control your own faith. And you can go do all the good works in the world for the Lord. If your mouth is not under control, God labels your whole religion vanity. Vanity. Verse 27 turns around and tells us what true pure religion is. This is verse 27 is the only verse that gives a good uh, uh, impression of religion. Pure religion unfiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless. Those, these are the people who have been neglected by their father. And widows in their affliction. And to keep himself unspotted from the world. So live holy and then visit widows, visit those who are fatherless, that's what God says is true religion. So let me give you an A, B, and C here on our words and talk about just how important our tongue is. Letter A, notice the tongue's parallels, the tongue's parallels. Now, uh, we're going to read chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 in a minute, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you what the parallels found here are, and then I'll give you letter B, and then we'll read the verses here. Um, the, um, the parallels are... Uh, the, the tongue is compared to a horse's bridle, okay? A horse's bridle. The power of a horse's bridle, the tongue has the same amount of power. The ship's rudder, a ship's rudder, and then fire, okay? A small spark maybe in some woods. So the tongue's parallels, horse's bridle, ship's rudder, and fire. How about the tongue's power? Letter B, notice the tongue's power. Look back with me at chapter 3 and verse number 1. James chapter 3, verse number 1, it says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater uh, condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same man is a mature man, or a whole man, or a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth, that they may obey us. And we turn about their whole body. Look at the power there of the of a bridle put in the horse of a mouth. How many of you here have ever gone horseback riding? Would you raise your hand? Anybody here done 
quite a bit of horseback riding where you didn't need a guide. You just get on a horse and go for a ride. Anybody here ever been to a place with that? Brother John a little bit, okay? Uh, what a, what a, what an adventurous thing to get on a horse and just let it, let it take off. But you're sitting on the back of that horse and all you have is that leather strap connected to the bridle. And what happens when you pull on it is it pinches the, the gums of that horse and he's trained on how to respond. Here you have this strong animal that is very powerful and he's controlled by just this little bridle that's in his mouth. You can get him to stop, you can get him to go, you can get him to go left, you can get him to go right, all on the bridle that's put in his mouth. Look down at, um, uh, look down at verse number four. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. You've got this little rudder in the water, and that little rudder controls what direction that entire ship is going to go. You can have a big freight liner and the parts that turn the ship in the water in comparison to the size of that freight liner are so small, yet they dictate the direction of that ship. Now look down with me at verse number 5. Even the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. Wow. Those are strong words. What is he saying here? He's saying your tongue has the ability to destroy, to destroy, to destroy. You got to be careful with your words. What you say matters. What you say matters. My dad was just a young boy. Uh, his mom, single, single parent type situation. She was at work and he was hanging out with his buddies. And there was a field. And he and his buddies, it was been dry for a long time. And his buddies decided to start a little fire. And then stomp it out. And leg it a little bigger and stomp it out. And leg it a little bigger and stomp it out. Well, you know, you know where this is going, right? It, it got to a place where it wasn't containable. And uh, they took off running. And it burnt down acres of woods. And the fire, firefighters show up, and they're doing their best to put this fire out. Other town fire departments had to come to put it out. And, and you know, the criminal always returns to the scene of the crime. Once a crowd had gathered, they slipped in among and said, Wow, what, what happened with this fire? What, uh, what started with a little matchbox turn into destruction of acres of property. Acres of property. I've been around church long enough to see people use their tongue to create a whole lot of division and hurt and pain. I have used my tongue and caused hurt to people. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. I, um, I've used my tongue to argue with my wife and berate my children. And I've used my tongue to get into fights with my siblings when I was growing up, and I've used my tongue to be disrespectful toward my parents as a teenager. Uh, I've used my tongue to discourage people, and I'm ashamed of every one of those things. I, I have no, I don't stand up here this evening and brag on that. I'm ashamed of that. I'd like to say that as I have matured in the Lord, I have learned how to bridle my tongue a little bit better. And I have learned how to speak words of grace in a moment of frustration. I have learned how to stop and use my tongue to pray for someone who's been unkind toward me. Tonight, I would ask you this question. Is your tongue under control? 
Or are you using your tongue to tear other people down? And I think in 2019, the spirit of this passage goes well beyond just what you say to someone. It includes what you text to somebody. It includes what you put on social media. That matters. What a great uh, uh, fire that just a little member kindleth. You can, you, can, you, you can say things or post things or text things that have a, 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 a repercussions that affect so many people and folks that you've never even met, folks that are, are friends of friends on social media, see what you put and that may turn them off to the gospel and they may end up in hell one day because you could not control your tongue or your words that came out through the form of typing letters on a keyboard. We must be careful with, careful with what we say. It has great power. Uh, uh, they say that uh, the weapon that is greater than the, the sword or the gun is the, is the weapon of the pen. And there have been uh, uh, pens that have written words that have been put into books that have thwarted entire wars. There have been pen, pens that have written down words that have started wars. And words have a powerful, powerful meaning. We must choose our words carefully. We must choose our words carefully. You ever said something and wish you could reach out and take the words and put them back in your mouth? It's like, oh man, I, I, yeah, it's like it's out there now. I, ah, at least on social media, you can delete, right? You can't delete what you say and it's heard. Um, when I was uh, 16, we moved to Maryland and uh, started attending a large church. And I was leaving a church youth group where I was the youth leader, not not the youth pastor, but the spiritual leader among the teenagers. And I didn't ask for that position. That was just kind of the way I was treated. So we came into this uh, new church, and uh, there was a boy there in the youth group. It was a larger church, larger than the one I came from. His name was Matt, uh, Matt Melton. And Matt was the spiritual leader in that youth group when I arrived. And I didn't come in wanting to challenge him. I just came in being me. And Matt immediately began to feel challenged. Matt wasn't raised in a, uh, a home of a, a pastor the way I was. And Matt's family had gotten saved when he was older. And Matt was on fire for God. He really was. Uh, but uh, Matt felt intimidated by me. And um, uh, so there, began, there became this unspoken rivalry between us. I didn't want it. I didn't want anything to do with it. Uh, but I made a big mistake with Matt. And I feel... To this day, I, I feel terrible. In fact, this is one of those times in your life where you do something that utterly embarrasses someone and shatters, uh, shatters them in front of other people that you just deeply regret. And I apologize for uh, telling the story. I don't mean to brag on my sin. I'm more trying to make a point with what not to do and tell you. Sometimes the way you learn from someone is you learn what they did that was wrong so you don't go forth and repeat. Okay? Uh, so we had um, a, a teen choir in that church. And I was in choir practice, and Matt missed a note as he was singing out. He missed a note, and it didn't sound real good. And when it, everything came to a pause, I made fun of the way Matt was singing. And I put Matt down really hard, and my words were sharp and cut him. His face turned blood red, and he laughed outwardly, but inwardly he was totally devastated. Everyone laughed at him. Matt 
very soon thereafter began this downward spiral out of being a solid Christian and eventually moved in with the girl and started living in sin. And I'm not saying that that one common inquire is what caused that out of him, but I am going to tell you this, that my words did not help him. Boy, I went back to Matt and I apologized, and he graciously accepted my apology. At least it seemed as though he was accepting my apology. But i got to tell you, I've, I've wondered to this day if that didn't, uh, uh, begin the process or was a trigger that caused that downward spiral. Listen, what you say can greatly hurt somebody. What you say can be a stumbling block that causes someone to quit coming to church. You see a lady who maybe uh, didn't match her outfit just right or maybe she's got a stain on her clothes and you see her in the lobby and you're kind of giving her a hard time over that. Listen to a younger, weaker Christian or someone who uh, uh, is unsure of themselves here. That could run them out of church. You, you instead put your arm around them and you love them and you say words that edify and build up. It matters. Your tongue is a little member, but you learn how to control your tongue and you learn how to control your entire body. Look at verse number 8 of James 3. It says, But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therefore, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the uh, same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield uh, salt water and fresh. And here he's saying, listen, you come out and you're saying kind things on uh, one corner of your mouth, and then you're saying unkind things out of the other corner of your mouth, and you're like a fountain that's putting out sweet water and bitter water at the same time. Hey, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. What happens if you put out sweet water and then bitter water? Well, they mix and you just have bitter water. And I can pay you a compliment today and then uh, give you a backhanded compliment tomorrow and then insult you the next day. And you know what? You're not going to feel very loved by me. And people aren't going to feel very loved by you if you do that. So be careful with what you uh, with what you say. Now, I'll go back to verse 8 that says that no man can tame the tongue. And that I say, amen. You cannot tame your tongue. But God can tame your tongue. You've got to take off your self-will and you've got to say, Lord, you control my tongue. You control my tongue. Letter A, the tongue's parallels. Letter B, the tongue's power. Letter C, notice the tongue's proclamation. Look down at uh, chapter 5 and verse number 12. It says, but above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by, uh, any, oath, uh, by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Here what he's saying is that what you say, your words need to have value. They need to mean something. Now, I remember being a little boy. Uh, I'd have a friend who sensationalized everything. You know that kid at the lunch table who um, who always had a story better than yours. You'd have something crazy happen to you over the weekend. You come in on a Monday and you sit down at the lunch table and you say, you won't believe what happened to me. And you tell the story and then there was always that kid who'd have a better story than yours. It didn't matter who told what story, his story was going to be better than yours. Some of you were that kid, weren't you? Uh-huh. uh-huh. I'm looking out at some of you. Some of you were that kid. Um, and so, um, uh, then a child like that or a young person like that, when you start questioning what they say, they'll say, no, I swear. No, I swear. 
Anybody here ever known someone that liked to use that phrase a lot? I swear, I swear, I swear. You know why someone needs to lean on, I swear it? Because their word is not believed. So they've got to step it up a notch. It ought to be, Christian, that your language is such that when you say something, you don't need to say, I swear it. Because people know that when you say something, it's going to be true. Your words are honest and fair. That's why it says, let your yay be yay. You don't need to backtrack or retract what you said. And your nay be nay. Let your word have value. In the fall, I went to Alabama. I spent some time there. I spent some time with a farmer down there in preparation for our Rooted in Christ theme. He was showing me around his farm, and he said, up there on the other side of the highway... Uh, uh, I'm planting a farm over there. He said, I'm in the middle of buying that property from the man who lives on it, and we have a handshake deal. Now, I didn't know those still existed in America. And I said, a handshake deal. He said, yeah, I'm paying them X, X thousands of dollars every year over about a six-year period, and I'm about halfway through that. And when I'm done, he's going to hand me the title deed to the property. And I said, you mean you have no paperwork? He said, no paperwork. And I said, you got to be kidding me. He said, no, no paperwork. He said, around here, you shake hands on something, and when you shake someone's hand, it's their word, and their word means something. Now, I really didn't know that that existed in America anymore, but apparently in some places it does. You know why? Because they trust each other. Their word has value. You know, i got to tell you, in 2019, what I find, even amongst church people, all right, even amongst people that go to this church, if someone says they're going to be somewhere, or they're going to do something, and they're going to be involved, and then they just don't show up, or they just don't do it. That's not a good testimony for Christ. Let your yay be yay, and your nay be nay. Sometimes you swear to your own hurt, or you give your word to your own hurt, and you say you're going to do something, and then it gets super inconvenient. But you know what? You gave your word, you need to do it. Uh, I read a quote recently, it went like this, There are many things I believe that I shall never say, but I shall never say uh, those things that I do not believe. There are many things that I believe I shall never say, but I shall never say those things that I do not believe. Choose your words carefully, and the concept there is be a person of integrity with your words. So that's the book of James. I hope you've learned a lot about the book, those of you that have been here through that study. Let's jump over to 1 Peter. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And uh, let's, uh, we're going to read verse 18 down through verse 25 in a few minutes. Peter. We all know who Peter is, don't we? Peter is uh, the epitome of open mouth, insert foot. Throw yourself out there and just say the first thing that comes to your mind, right? How do I know that the Bible is inspired? Peter didn't say anything dumb in his book. (laughs) It all makes sense. Peter is the king of saying things that didn't make any sense if you know the life of Peter. But Peter wasn't his original name. His name was Simon. And God changed his name over to Peter. In fact, God changed his name over uh, to something that became Peter later. Uh, uh, and, and the word Peter means pebble or small stone. All right? uh, and uh, God, I believe, gave him an Aramaic name. And it ended up becoming a Greek name and then uh, into English from Greek. 
uh, we have Peter. But it's all the same concept here. And uh, Peter was writing to a group of churches in, um, in Galatia who were being, uh, uh, rather through Pontus, Asia Minor, that were being persecuted. These, were being, these people were being persecuted. And Peter is trying to reframe their Christian life to help them endure their persecution. Now, I'll say this quickly, that um, America, we have persecution coming our way. It is on the horizon. How many of you walked outside today and saw the snow coming? All right, you saw it starting to get dark outside? And, uh, you know, when that happens, sometimes it blows over and you don't get anything. But that didn't happen today. Sometimes you have a storm like today where it blows in and blows out. But other times you have storms that blow in and they stay there for a long time. I have watched some dark clouds of persecution roll over the skies of Christians in America. But we really haven't had a lot of, quote, unquote, rainfall. I do believe there's a big storm coming of persecution. And I do believe there's going to come a day and time where it isn't a bakery or a flower shop they go after. It's churches. And if we're going to take a stand for what we believe and we're going to hold to the Bible, listen, this book is already being labeled as out of date and old and narrow-minded. It's beginning to be labeled as bigoted and hate speech. And if you want to stick to this, you're going to be labeled a, a, a hate speech criminal. You just are. And those days are coming, where they come and they take our buildings away and they put chains on our door. I really do believe that unless God's grace prevails, we're going to see that happen in my lifetime. I really do. Uh, Those of you that are 55, 65 and up, hey, praise the Lord, you're probably just going to miss it. Those of us that are under the age of 40, there's going to come a day where we're persecuted in a great way for what we believe. And I would just say that that persecution is going to greatly cleanse the church. These churches were in the midst of being persecuted for what they believed. And Peter is trying to help them reshape this narrative so that they can endure the persecution and stay faithful to Christ. Look at me, chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy of a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if, when ye be buffeted for your faults, uh, ye shall take it patiently? But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because uh, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. Uh, When he suffered, he threatened not, uh, but uh, committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who uh, his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live in a righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed, For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your soul. So let's take a few minutes and look at a proper perspective on persecution. You can tell through the reading that Paul is encouraging them, hey, while you're being persecuted and you're being beaten for what you believe, turn the other cheek. Don't lash back out. Handle it the way Christ handled it. We'll get into that as we go. Number one, notice our inheritance in Christ. Our inheritance. 
inheritance in Christ. Hey, fill out those um, uh, notes, if you would, and that way you can go back and study it and get a, a, a greater understanding of the Scriptures. Let's look, and, and this section is found, chapter 1, verse 3 through verse 12. Now, the, the book, the way it's laid out, you have the first two verses are greeting and introduction. And then verse 3 through 12 was really written to be a song of praise. And what a great thing to do to a church that's persecuted is give them a song of praise. Obviously, we don't have the music to this song of praise, but it's in the style that it was written in, in the original text, it was laid out as though uh, with symmetry and in the original language, it was meant to be uh, a song. And the way it was written down, it was very obvious it was a song. And he talks about, hey, listen, uh, we're going to shape this thing properly. The first thing we've got to focus on is that we have an inheritance in Christ, and that inheritance is is going to be an eternity in heaven with our God. Uh, let, let me give you letter A here. Notice it's purity. It's purity, the purity of the inheritance. Look at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us uh, um, uh, again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Notice these next few words incorruptible and undefiled, and an an inheritance uh, incorruptible and undefiled. Listen, I'm here to tell you tonight that when we get to heaven, there's going to be nothing corrupted about heaven. There's going to be nothing defiled about heaven. It's going to be great. Uh, I know that I'm a corrupted guy. I battle sin. I battle struggles. I battle shortcomings. And and um, uh, I'm a sinner at heart, and I live in a fallen world, and we're all a bunch of sinners in this room, and we battle pride and selfishness and, and getting our feelings hurt. We battle all sorts of sins, and sometimes some of you hurt my feelings, and sometimes I hurt some of your feelings. When we get to heaven, we're not going to get on each other's nerves. You know why? Because God's going to take these robes of, of carnal, sinful flesh, and He's going to give us a body that is completely incorruptible. And undefiled. And we're going to get to live together in perfect harmony. Think about right now that Christian uh, that you know that you have the toughest time getting along with. Whoever that is. Hey, in heaven, you're going to have a perfect relationship with them. It's going to be great. There's going to be no uh, grudges. There's going to be no hurt feelings. Uh, There's going to be none of that. Why? Because in heaven, we get an inheritance uh, that is pure. Now, how did we get this inheritance? We got it by trusting Christ as our Savior. I want you to think about the story of the prodigal son. You remember the one son ran into the world and he wasted his father's inheritance, the inheritance he got from his father on righteous living. He came home and the dad accepted him back and threw a party, and that was really it for him. The other son came out of the field and said, Whoa, 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 dad, I served you faithfully. Where was my fatted calf? Where was my party with my friends? And the dad put his hand on his son's shoulder and he said, Son, all the rest that I have is yours. We get to heaven and all of what God has is going to be ours. It's going to be ours. And it's going to be perfect and pure. It's purity. Letter B, notice it's permanence. It's permanence. Look at uh, verse 4 again. To an inheritance incorrupted and undefiled and that fadeth not away. That fadeth not away. It's permanent. Now, the person uh, that would believe that you can lose your salvation... I would ask you this. What are you going to do with First uh, Peter one four that says that your inheritance never fades away? It can't go away. I have great 
rest in knowing that my salvation can't be lost. Great rest in that. The old, the old song says, I wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. The paths of sin, no more I tried. Now I'm coming home. Um, you ever had a day where you just felt really backslidden? Raise your hand if you feel that way right now. No, I'm kidding. Don't raise your hand. Okay. Just making sure you're awake. Um, you ever had a, a month where you felt that way? You ever had a couple of years where you felt that way, where something was off? You're making choices that weren't good. Maybe you sat down and you binged on, uh, binged on Netflix. You watched a show that had stuff in it that wasn't right. And then you had your mind filled with sin. Okay? Maybe it wasn't Netflix. Maybe it was just some old show that you used to like. Right? Um, and, or you had a night where you uh, were doing things that were wrong and you, you went to bed and you didn't feel saved. I've got to tell you, I don't always feel saved. But I am. I am. Um, when I uh, uh, when I lose my cool, or when I uh, uh, have something not go my way, and I feel anger building up on the inside, I don't feel saved, but I am saved. You know why? Because my salvation is not based on my feeling. It's based on the fact that Jesus loved me and He forgave me, and that's permanent. First John five thirteen says, "These things have I written unto you that ye may know that ye have eternal life." That you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And I call that the belief sandwich. You believe, and you believe, and in the middle you, you know that you have eternal life. I can point to a day I believe in Jesus. My inheritance in Christ is permanent. Letter C, notice, it's patience. It's patience. Now this is the part that uh, Peter is really getting to here. Okay, it's incorruptible, it's undefiled, uh, it's, it, it fades not away, it's permanent, but it isn't for you yet. It isn't for you yet. Look back at uh, verse... Uh, uh, number four there. It says, To an inheritance uh, incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away. Look here. Reserved in heaven for you. This is, a, this is an inheritance that you get when you get to heaven. Verse five. Who are kept by the power of God through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This is an inheritance that we're going to get when we get to heaven. Uh, this is something that we have to wait for. This is something we have to endure. The old song says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me to heaven's, uh, heaven's open door and I can't fill it home in this world anymore. Uh, up in glory land will live eternally. Amen. And I'm going to try to not quote the rest of the song because I'm going to forget it here. But the idea is that we're, we're just passing through. Am I a citizen of the U.S.? Yes, after I'm a citizen in heaven. That's where my citizenship lies first. And listen, we've got to live knowing that when we get to heaven, our inheritance is going to be given to us. There's going to come a, a day in time where I lay my parents to rest. It's going to come a day in time where we lay Angela's parents to rest. I've got to tell you, I'm not looking forward to either any of those days. I'm not looking forward to um, having to bury my parents. I love my mother-in-law almost as much as I love my own mother. And the thought of losing her is terrifying to me. When my parents die or Angela's parents die, 
I imagine there will be some sort of inheritance we receive. Can I tell you, I'm not looking forward to getting that money. Not looking forward to it. I hope, I hope, I hope that money doesn't come for a very long time. It's something that's waited upon. It's something that's received. Some of you here have received that inheritance. You've had a parent die and you've gotten it. Um, the inheritance, the best inheritance we'll ever receive is not received when our parents die. It's received when this robe of flesh dies. We step on heaven's shore and it's given to us. Hey, Christian, listen, persecutions are going to come your way. Uh, trials are going to come your way. Struggles are going to come your way. Be patient in the Lord. Be patient in the Lord. Don't throw in the towel in walking with God. You've got to stay the course. You've got to keep doing what's right. Are you going to have hard times come? You betcha. You betcha. Are you going to have disappointments come? You know you are. Uh, Are people going to let you down? Yes. Can Can you throw in the towel and quit? No, you absolutely can't. You must remain patient and know that that's coming. Letter D, notice, our purging. Our purging. Look down back at First uh, Peter 1, look at verse 5. It says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith and a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So we're in this holding pattern, waiting for that inheritance. Verse 6, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, uh, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation or through an abundance of temptation, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You ever wondered why the Christian life in times can just seem so hard? Remember as a small boy, went with my dad on a visit. Lived in Mississippi. We drove out in the middle of the sticks and sat in this little humble home. And we were following up on a family that had gotten saved, had gotten excited about God and church, and they were coming faithfully. And then they just dropped off the map. And um, I'm sitting in their living room with my dad. I'm six, seven, eight years old. I don't remember how old I was. I was a little guy. And I remember the conversation that night. And my dad said to the family, he said, uh, we've been missing you in church. And they said, yeah, we're done with church. And he said, well, why? And he said, well, we, we thought when we got saved, our life was going to get easy. He said, uh, we, we got saved and started coming to church. And the week we came to church, uh, we had a leak in our roof and uh, we didn't have any insurance. And he said, look over there. And sure enough, their roof had, had a, a, a major dip in it from where there had been a water leak. And he said, uh, we don't have the money to pay for that. And he said, uh, so we decided we were going to keep going to church. And then uh, we blew out a tire. And we had to take money out of our savings account and fix the tire. He said, ever since we got saved, it's been problem after problem after problem after problem. And if going to church and being a Christian means that our world's going to get turned upside down and all we're going to have is a bunch of problems, we're better off before we ever went to church. My dad opened to 1 Peter 1 and he showed them this verse. And he said, God is trying to try you. He's using the fire to bring out the impurities in your life and to purge you and to make you better. And we got down on our knees in our living room that evening and we prayed with him that God would help help their faith to grow. Hey, the other phrase I'd give you here is that new levels bring new devils. 
New levels bring new devils. You want to take a step up and grow in the Lord? There's going to be something there that's going to challenge you when you do that. Uh, Brother Ed, you ever experienced that in your Christian life? You're growing along, you're going along. You take a step of faith and you're, you're faced with resistance, aren't you? Yeah. And uh, every time you want to take a step and be a better Christian, there's resistance there to, to fight you. And, and, and to check to see, if, and Satan's checking to see if you're serious about that. But listen, in the end, the, the Christian life becomes uncomfortable because God is turning up the fire under us to refine us, to purge us, to make us more into the image of His Son, to prepare us for that inheritance. Our inheritance of Christ. Quickly here, number two, notice our identity in Christ. Okay, I'm going to tell you here, we're not going to make it all the way through this point, but this is going to be really good. Every time I study for uh, this Wednesday evening Bible studies, I learn things about the books that we're going through that I just had no idea before, and my mind is just just blown studying in my office. Sometimes I have little shouting, uh, little, little glory shouts go on in my office, and I have to close my door so my staff doesn't think I lost my mind. Uh, but I'm starting to I'm like, oh, this is good. Oh, look at this right here. Oh, that's amazing. And uh, things I've just never seen before. And as I study and God shows me, and maybe I find them in a, a, through a resource, but I'm uh, blown away by that. Can I tell you that Peter is going to take the events of the Old Testament and he's going to very subtly and carefully apply them to Gentiles in the New Testament. The redemption story of the Jews coming out of Egypt. He's going he's gonna to take phrases from the Old Testament that he knew in his studying the Scriptures. And he's going to overlay them on top of, uh, of, of Gentiles in the New Testament. And say that you are part of a new family in Christ. Letter A, notice the comparisons with Israel. The comparisons with Israel, okay? Now, we're going to do some flipping back and forth between the New Testament and the Old Testament because I want to show you some things here. Look down at verse number, excuse me, look down at verse number 13. It says here, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gird up the loins of your mind. Hmm. Where have we seen that phrase, gird up the loins before? Turn over to Exodus chapter uh, number uh, 12 and verse 11. Now, if you enjoy Bible study, uh, which is what Wednesday evening is supposed to be, then you'll enjoy this here. Okay? Exodus chapter 12. Moses is laying out the instructions for the preparation to leave Egypt. Exodus twelve eleven and thou and thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So you remember, right? They're getting ready for the last and final plague to hit Egypt. They're going to put the blood on the doorposts. They're going to prepare a Passover meal. The death angel is going to pass over them. They're going to get into, and they're told, get ready because Pharaoh is going to expel us out of the land. And so have your shoes on your feet while you eat, which broke their customary traditions, and gird up your loins. That means get ready to leave. And then Peter says back here, he, knowing this passage, he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought in us. So here we, uh, we see the beginnings of this. Uh, and in my notes, I have redeemed from Egypt. 
redeemed from Egypt. Okay, let me give you another one here. Uh, we are just like the, uh, remember they left Egypt and then God gave them a, a covenant at Mount Sinai. And in that covenant, they were told to be holy. All right, look at chapter 1, verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversations, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, uh, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, uh, uh, pass the time. Okay, so where do we get this idea of being holy? Well, uh, the Israelites were given the same order in the Old Covenant as part of their identity. Turn over to Leviticus 11.44. Leviticus chapter 11. And verse 44. I'll begin reading. For I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So just as the Israelites were told to be holy, gird up, gird up their loins and be holy, the, the new family, these Gentiles in these churches here in Asia Minor, they're being told to do the same two things. Why? Because they have a new identity in Christ. How about another one here? Uh, we see in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verses 17 through 21, that they are to be the people of the Exodus and the Passover. They've been passed over uh, from their eternal sin and given salvation. Look at chapter 1, verse 17. And if you call on the Father, uh, who, uh, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation or lifestyle, uh, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ." As of a, a lamb without a blemish and without spot, who verily was uh, foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your father and hope might be in God. So uh, just as the Israelites were saved uh, in, the, in the exodus of, of Egypt and the Passover where the, they killed the lamb and put the blood on the doorposts and the death angel came by and passed by them and they, their firstborns were spared. He said, you've been passed over from eternal death because the blood of Christ has not been applied to some doorpost. It's been applied to your heart. You have been you have left a, a life of sin behind and you have been uh, you are children of a different Passover, of a new Passover. So letter A, we see the comparisons with Egypt. Next week, uh, we'll get into letter B, and we'll look at the new creation uh, for the church, the new creation for the church. And we're going to look at how that um, uh, they're compared to some Old Testament things. Uh, and the, the church is compared to the, uh, the, some Old Testament things and are made new in Christ, our identity in Christ. Hey, listen, God loves Israel. I want to make sure I say this here because it fits the message. God loves Israel. And by the way, I don't believe he's done with Israel. Uh, if you know the Old Testament and you know the Minor Prophets and you know the book of Revelation, uh, they're going to be grafted right back in. God's got a plan for them. Uh, the church began with Jews. Jews get saved every day. Listen, we got an assistant pastor on staff who's Jewish. 
So God's not done with the Jews. Uh, uh, Genesis 12 says, I'll bless them that bless thee, curse them that curse thee. That applies still today, that we're to be a friend to Israel and, and support them. Uh, but, uh, uh, but God loves the church. We live in the church age. And right now, God is not using Israel to get his message to the world. He's using the church. And so um, he's making sure that these churches understand that just as God valued the Israelites in the Old Testament, he, he, he welcomes all folks into the church community, no matter what your nationality is. And God has an identity for you, and he wants you to thrive in it. So uh, while you're being persecuted, be excited that you have an identity in Christ. So we'll finish up, uh, we'll continue on the Bible study with First Peter next week. Let's stand to be dismissed in prayer. Hey, on a cold, snowy day, thanks for coming out and being in church and um, not finding a reason to, to miss, but just saying, hey, I'm going to be in church on Wednesday night. That means the world to me. Let's be dismissed in prayer, and, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll go. Pastor Mike, good to have you in service tonight. Why don't you close us in prayer?